We're in a series right now called Designed for a Purpose. And as we are, a key verse I want to draw your attention to this morning is this one in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's verse 27. Let's notice this verse. Now, the first part of this verse is drawing attention to our unity. Okay? Paul writes, Now all of you together are Christ's body. So we are united, we are connected together to the greatest body in the entire world, the body of Christ, the church. Well then in the second part of the verse, Paul goes on to emphasize our diversity, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. So we don't have the same purpose in this body of Christ. We. Um, I could say it perhaps this way, we're different body parts, all right? So I might be a toe and you're an ear, or I'm a fingernail and you're an eye. So we all have a different function to play in this body of the church. We're united, but there's diversity. So the question becomes, what is your part in this body? Well, what we're learning in this series drives us to this conclusion that my primary area of service, my purpose in the body, is determined by my design. And we're learning that this word design functions as an acronym. And you might want to write these down in your sermon notes. First of all, the D in design stands for our desires. We talked about that last Sunday. Our passions, our interests, the things that we would love to accomplish for the glory of God, okay? Desires, experiences we'll talk about today. Skills are our natural or developed talents and abilities. They can be used for God's purposes as well as our individuality. That's our personality, our temperament. Some of you are extroverted, others introverted. Some of you like structure, others of you want flexibility. And uh, so we're all different. Well, that plays out in terms of your career choices and your ministry involvement, as does, G, your gifts, your spiritual gifts. When we discover those five areas, then we find our N, our niche, our body part, where we function in the body of Christ, the church, as well as in God's world in terms of our career. Well, today we come then to the second of these five areas, how God has custom designed our experiences to help define who we are, okay? And he wants to use our key experiences, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of other people. Now, if that is to happen, we need to explore the two questions you see on your sermon outline. First of all, what are the experiences that have shaped you? Well, some of these are your choice. Frankly, others, though, are beyond your control. And there are five key experiences that have shaped each one of us. First of all would be family experiences, who your parents were, their occupations, where you were born, where you grew up, who your friends were early on in life, the neighborhood and such, where you grew up. All of these things impact you in significant ways. As does, secondly, your educational experiences the schools, the books, the seminars, the training that you've gone through, all of those things have impacted your life as well. Um, maybe as an example of this, when you were in the third grade, 
Science just became crucial to you, and it just changed your life. Or maybe in high school you were part of the marching band or involved in sports, and that was a significant experience for you. I have a friend who's very gifted in the area of music, and he always thought he would probably end up being a music teacher in some high school. Until that is, he went to college and took his first educational class and he walked out on the first day and instead signed up for a class, Music in the Church, that changed his life. And today he's a worship pastor in a nearby uh, congregation. So educational experiences impact us. So thirdly, do spiritual experiences. Meaningful times with God, times of growth, times of failure, times of challenge and renewed commitment. All of those things have shaped you. Going away to a summer camp, like Trout Lake Camp, for example, perhaps was a significant time in your own life. Vocational experiences have also uh, significantly impacted us. The places where you've worked, your favorite jobs. Finally, painful experiences. The losses, health problems, family issues, financial struggles, all kinds of things that have greatly impacted your life, all the negative stuff. Now, you may, to illustrate this last one, you may recall the story of Joseph. When he was a young man, if anything could have gone wrong in his life, it probably did. He was betrayed by his brothers, ends up being sold into slavery, goes into a foreign country. There he's charged with a crime that he didn't commit. He ends up being in prison for many, many years. He's all but totally forgotten. But then through a series of events orchestrated by God, he becomes the second in command in the entire country. He's the prime minister. Meanwhile, his brothers back home are dealing with a famine. And dad says, go down to Egypt, buy some grain. And wouldn't you know it, his brothers have to appear before the prime minister, their younger brother, Joseph, who after a time of renewal makes this statement, you intended to harm me. Oh yeah, they did. But God intended it for good. We have a God who loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. A God who loves to take the pain in our lives, the difficulties, the hurts, and to turn them into something very good and very positive. And so he also has a personal plan for you, not just for Joseph. He has designed experiences for you that are both personal and purposeful. And these five are part of those kinds of experiences. Now, to give you an example of, of a couple of these, I think of this woman, Jessica Jackley. A few years ago, she traveled to Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda on a study abroad uh, educational program. So here's where education comes in. But Jessica is also a Christian, follower of Jesus Christ. She was deeply pained by the poverty she saw and concluded, I've got to do something about this. So at the age of 26, she co-founded the world's first person-to-person micro-lending website called kiva.org. You go to the website, read a story about a entrepreneur in a third world country wants to start a business to get out of poverty. You loan a minimum of $25, uh, $25, almost said 25,000, $25, 
and it's as this person gets other income, starts the business, repays your loan, and if you want, you can reinvest it in somebody else who wants to start a business. And in this way, thousands of people have been empowered to get out of poverty. And so at one point, Jessica was named by CNM Money as one of the top 50 financial difference makers in the world. Now to give you some benchmarks, Bill Gates is on that list at 21, Oprah 37, and so I forget the exact number, but uh, Jessica is on that list. God is greatly using her experiences, and guess what? He wants to use mine and yours as well to make a difference in the world. Look at this verse in Romans 8. We know, says the Apostle Paul, not we think or we hope or we imagine. We know. We have absolute, unshakable confidence. What? That God, in his sovereignty, causes everything to work together for the good. Of everybody? No. Of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Nothing, nothing is a surprise to God. God is not up in heaven right now wringing his hands over what's going on in the little country of Ukraine. He's in charge. And he's in charge of the issues that come into my life and yours as well. He permits all kinds of things to accomplish his sovereign purposes, good purposes. Now that leads us to our second question today. I want to spend the rest of our time dealing with the painful experiences that you and I go through in life. So what are God's purposes and our painful experiences? What are the good things that God wants to bring out out of the mess? Well, the passage that Jake read for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is going to answer that question. This is what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Now stop there for a second. This word trouble refers to inward distress that's brought about by outward circumstances. So for you, it might be in the area of health, maybe a marriage issue, maybe a financial struggle, maybe in connection with your job, your education, whatever it is, you are experiencing all of this inward distress because of some outward circumstance. Okay? Well, in Paul's case, he says, we were crushed and completely overwhelmed. We thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. And he proceeds to tell us how God used this difficult experience in his life, how he reacted to it. And so as you and I look at the Apostle Paul's experience, his reaction, what we're really doing is discovering how God wants to use our own difficulties and how he wants us to react to them. Five ways. First of all, and I hope you're going to write these down, you're going to need this information at some time in your life, if not right now. So number one, they can help us to come to know God better. Now, as you look at verses 3 and 4, Paul draws our attention to three names or titles of God. He begins, here's his first one, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's a man who hated Christ, wanted nothing to do with Christianity, was persecuting Christians. How does he 
come to a point where he can praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, personal experience, right? The whole experience described in Acts 9 is Damascus Road experience where he was powerfully transformed by God's grace. So in answer to the question, how does he come to know God this way? Primarily through personal experience. Hold that thought, we're gonna come back to it. Second title, Paul also describes God as the father of compassion. Now this word compassion can be defined this way. It is kindness shown to people in distress. Okay, kindness shown to people in distress. Hold that thought, we're gonna come back to it as well. Third title, the God of all comfort. Now this word for comfort means that God comes alongside of people in their time of pain. Okay, and uh, in fact, he also says, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that includes mine, that includes yours. So every inward distress brought about by outward circumstances, our definition of troubles are God's concern. So here's the question. How did Paul come to know God as the father of compassion and the God of all comfort? Was it by reading his Bible, going to church services? No, how? Well, they were helpful. But primarily, he came to know God in these ways through personal experience. Just as you and I do not know God as a saving God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ until we commit our lives to Jesus as our Savior and Lord, personal experience, so it is that we do not come to know God as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort until we go through experiences where we need his compassion and his comfort. What is comfort? Uh, compassion, rather? Compassion is kindness shown to people in distress. The only people who know about God's compassion are people in a state of distress. And what is his comfort? God coming alongside of us in our time of trouble and need. The only people who experience God's comfort are those who are dealing with troubles and conflicts and problems in their hearts and lives. And God wants you and me to come to know him as more than a saving God. More than the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants us to come to know him as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So that's first. Why does God allow us to go through problems? Why does he permit these things in life? Can you imagine what we would be like if we didn't have any difficulties? I mean, we would be so self-absorbed, so self-confident, we'd never turn to God. So these have a way of grabbing our attention and causing us to turn to him, to come to know him better. Secondly, or B, your experiences can pre prepare you to minister to others. Now this is what Paul writes in verse four. God comforts us in all our troubles so that, so here's purpose language. We can comfort others. When others are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Now let me ask you a question. Who would you say best understands the heartache of divorce? Or what it's like to lose a child? 
Or for that matter, you know, to discover that your son or daughter has an addiction issue, or the anguish of caring for a dementia-ridden, frail, aging parent. Who best understands what that's all about? I think it's the person who's gone through it, who in the midst of it discovered God's compassion and comfort, who then comes alongside of you. And so better than anybody else, you who have endured a stinging experience during which you sense God's compassion and his comfort, you're among the choicest teachers that God has. You see, you don't exist as a Christian for your own sake. This is hard for those of us in Western culture to understand, I think, more so than believers in other cultures. But God has placed you as a Christian in his body, the church, that you might be an instrument to comfort other people. So God doesn't comfort you to make you comfortable. He, makes, he comforts you to turn you into a comforter of other people. Now to illustrate how this works, I think of John Baker. Back around 1992, John was separated from his wife and family because of his alcohol addiction issues and was about to lose his job. So he gets a phone call. Dad, um, we're going to church tomorrow. You want to come? John says, yeah, I, sure, I'll come. So he goes to church over a process of weeks, hears about Jesus, repents of his sin, trusts Christ as his Savior and Lord, becomes a Christ follower, goes into counseling to rebuild his marriage, into AA to try to deal with his addiction issues, is baptized and becomes a member of the church. A year later, he writes a 13-page, single-space letter to his pastor, imploring his pastor to please pastor start a ministry in our church and for the good of our community for people who are dealing with all kinds of addiction issues. The pastor says, John, that's a fabulous idea. Go do it. So John starts a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, which today is the largest Christian, he wanted a Christian-based program, not like AA, wanted it to be grounded in Christ and in the gospel. So he starts this Christian-based program, Celebrate Recovery, it's become the largest Christian-based recovery program in the world. It's in 35,000 churches. It's in just about every prison, federal and state penitentiary in our country. Seven million individuals have gone through the program. Many throughout our world have come to saving faith, not just freedom from addiction, but freedom from their sin because of this ministry. So it makes me wonder, who might, God, who might find God as a result of your suffering? Your ministry may not be national or international in scope like that of John Baker, but maybe you're going through a crisis right now and you're asking, Lord, why? And maybe this is the perspective he wants you to have. Perhaps he's preparing you to meet the deep needs of others by first bringing you through a major crisis. All right, three or C on your outline. Your experiences can help you to rely on the power of God. Verses eight and nine. 
I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed, completely overwhelmed, and thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Now notice, as a result, we learned not to rely on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. I mean, Paul thought this is it, right? But unbelievably, God brings him through this difficulty because he had a purpose in mind, and it's stated again in verse 9, we learn not to rely on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. And so another purpose behind your experience is that you might come to a complete end of your resources and learn to depend on the power of God. Now to illustrate, evidently the Apostle Paul had issues with self-confidence and self-reliance, and so God gave him uh, an issue that he refers to in chapter 12 of this second letter as his thorn in the flesh. Never tells us what it was, and maybe that's a good thing because then we can all relate to what this man went through. But he does say this in verses eight and nine of that chapter. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, no, Paul, I'm not gonna do that. My gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. Listen, if the great apostle Paul needed a challenge in his life so that he would learn not to rely on himself but on God who can raise the dead. Who, who am I? You know, Who are you to think that we don't need such experiences? I can't tell you the five, 10, or whatever the number is of issue, uh, reasons as to why God in his sovereignty has permitted a particular issue to come my way or your way, but I do know that he wants us, he wants us to, to learn this lesson about entrusting ourselves to him and his power. All right, the fourth purpose is stated in the next verse, the 10th. This is what it says. And he did deliver us from mortal danger, and we're confident that he will continue to deliver us. And this introduces us to the fourth purpose. Your experiences can increase your faith in God's promises. Back when God called this man to become an apostle, he gave him this promise revealed in Acts 26, verses 17 and 18. God said this, I will rescue you from your own people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Paul, you're my man. I want you to preach the gospel. And as you do, you're gonna face all kinds of opposition from your own countrymen, the Jews, and from Gentiles. They're gonna persecute you. But Paul, I'm going to rescue you again and again and again until my purposes for you have been accomplished. And so as this man experienced stonings and shipwrecks and beatings and plots against his life, imprisonment, God delivered him. And as a result of these experiences, it increased his faith in the promise of God. Well, in a similar way, God can use our experiences as well to increase faith in his promises. You see, faith, gotta be careful with this so I'm not misunderstood, faith, does not get increased by coming to church. 
hearing sermons, singing songs, listening to your favorite Christian podcast, memorizing Bible verses. What these things basically do for us is to give us information. Faith gets strengthened when that Bible verse you've memorized or the stanza from the song that has touched your heart goes with you and gets applied to give you a perspective about God and who he is in the midst of your difficulty. That's how faith gets strengthened. Then we're able to say with renewed conviction, he did deliver me and we're confident that he will continue to deliver me. So it's easy for most of us to pray, Lord, increase my faith. By the way, that's a dangerous prayer. Lord, increase my faith. How is he going to do that? Well, it's often through a painful experience that our faith in God's promises get strengthened. All right, number five or E, your experiences can encourage others in prayer and praise. Verse 11, he will rescue us because we you are helping by praying for us. So that's the prayer part of this fifth statement. As a result, many will give thanks to God. That's the praise part, because so many people's prayers for our safety have been answered. So imagine somebody in this church who's going through a crisis, facing surgery, world has fallen apart, heavy issues, shares that burden with a few trusted friends from our church, maybe his or her growth group. They go to prayer. Days, perhaps later, they find out how God answered that person's prayer. What does that do for them? It causes them to want to praise God for the answer to prayer, but also it encourages them to pray for other people, right? So these are the ways that God may want to use our experiences. Now, I want you to hear a story this morning of somebody from our church who's seeking to learn all of these lessons from his life experiences. His name is Jacob Thompson. JT happens to be our pastor for student ministries, and I've invited JT to come and share his story with us today. Thank you, Rich. Am I on? Check, check. I'm going to try and make a really long story really short, so bear with me. Um, when I was 11, my baseball coach told me someday he thought I could play pro baseball. And playing sports became my identity, my value, my purpose, being popular in school. and. Those were the things I cared about. Really, I wanted nothing to do with the things of God. Going into my senior year, um, the football season came around, and I went out, and all of a sudden, I was weaker, and I was slower, and no one could explain it. It turned out, well, I'll get there. So... My identity, my purpose, my value just was crushed because I got benched in football and I didn't know who I was if I wasn't a star athlete. And at that same time, I had became involved with Young Life and a Bible study. And I began to learn that God offered me an identity and 
acceptance and love and grace and purpose. And as my false identity came crashing down, I embraced my true identity in Christ and began to follow him. I went to college, and for the first time, I didn't have a sport to play, so I didn't know what to do with myself. And I began to get involved in leading ministry, in coaching, in doing spoken word poetry and music. And the Lord just started to work in my life and through my life. Fast forward, 24 years old, have a great job doing Young Life, coaching football, doing music, poetry, um, married my wife, we bought a house, everything's going well, but my health continued declining. Eventually, I sought doctors, tried to figure out what was happening, and was diagnosed with the rare disease called Friedrich's ataxia, or F.A., I was told I've had F.A. my whole life. It's slowly been taking away my physical abilities. But eventually, I'm going to end up in a wheelchair. I'm going to have a shortened life expectancy. And that was pretty bad news to get when, you, when I felt like I had my whole life ahead of me. But amidst the bad news, we have the good news. And... There are so many scriptures I could give or ways um, I could explain that God works through difficulties. But I think Rich summed it up pretty well in the sermon. And um, yeah, I'll just say now the Lord has opened doors for me to speak and share my story for thousands and thousands of people even in environments where typically you would not be allowed to say Jesus. Uh, but they asked me to share my story, and that's my story. So it's been cool. I'll end with a short spoken word that I believe summarizes this all well. I know God has a purpose. If it wasn't for my trials... I never would have written these verses. And if everything in my life was perfect, then really I would have no reason to worship. Because you don't know what healing is till you've had a broken heart. And light shines brighter when you come out of the dark. And all my pain just made my spirit unbreakable. And all my doubts just made my faith unshakable. See, my story is something only God could write. I wouldn't know my purpose if I never had to fight this fight. There's a reason I've endured all those sleepless nights so I could tell you that everything is going to be all right because heaven is my home and earth is only temporary. So you don't have to cry when you lay me in that cemetery. And I could say that truthfully, because I'll know I stood for something on the day they read my eulogy. One of God's soldiers, you could bet him on the roster. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So I'll press on whatever storm I may weather. Because for those who love God, all things work together. 
That's all. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you'd like to read more about or learn more about his story, I recommend his book. It's entitled From Diagnosis to Destiny, Your Trials Aren't Meant to Break You, They're Meant to Make You. And these books will be available for purchase out in the lobby following the service today. And JT will be there if you want a signed copy of the book you purchased. Uh, he's there to do that. And JT happens to be the coach of the City Church basketball team, which this coming Saturday plays the championship game for the whole conference, 9 a.m. at Roseville Covenant Church. Some of you might want to go up there to watch the team play. Well, let me wrap this up by drawing your attention to three action steps that will help us to make the most of our experiences. So how do I use my experience? First of all, examine your experiences. And to help us to do that, we are once again providing a personal exercise for you. Just like with uh, last week, desires, personal exercise. So this week, another personal exercise. So if you, you can get the exercise in one of two ways. This is gonna help you to further apply the message to your life, okay? So you can pick up a hard copy if that's your preference. There are some available out in the lobby. Or you can go to our website, menu bar up at the top, click on resources, drop down menu, first one, design. So resources, design, it'll take you to the exercise on experiences. You, you summarize all of that for you on a on a design, what is called a design profile. Just follow the exercise, it'll take you to a design profile. And at the end of this series, if you complete all five of these, we will send you a customized profile compiling all of your responses and offering you some key next steps. Now this is gonna take some work on your part. And I'm hoping you're not gonna blow it off that you're gonna do the work by either picking up a hard copy or going to our website and doing this uh, exercise this week. Paul can put it like this in Galatians 3, 4. Did all your experience mean nothing at all? Surely it meant something. So on examine issues like this, uh, you know, if we fail to examine our experiences, it's basically a waste. So take some time to process key life experiences in your own situation. Secondly, submit your experiences to the Lord. It's a matter of saying something like this. Lord, if I can experience your compassion and your comfort and come to rely on your power and on your promises and cause others to praise you, then Lord, I submit. Thirdly, as you heal, be open to helping others. Healing is a process. Be open to helping others. And these verses that we looked at earlier, here they are again in a paraphrased version. God gives us comfort in our trials. So we in turn may be able to give the same sort of strong sympathy to others and theirs. This means if we experience trouble, 
we can pass on to you comfort and your spiritual help. So, what are some of the key life experiences that have shaped you? And are you willing to submit them to the Lord? Let's pray together. Father, today, we give all of our experiences that have shaped us to you, asking you to use them. We dedicate them to you. We ask for grace to accept what we can't change, strength to live each challenging moment for you. So we're asking, Father, for you to help us to trust you without question, and at the end of the day, to still love you. We thank you for your power, for your promises, for the support that comes to us through those who have faced similar experiences, and yet they're here today, speaking of your faithfulness. We thank you for Christ, a savior who knows all about pain and trouble and loss. So Father, please come alongside anyone here this morning who is really hurting. And we pray for your comforting presence to be their portion. We pray that you will, in time, use the difficult experiences that we've all gone through for our growth, for the good of others, the growth of this church, and ultimately your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.